Well, I, I, I told Stephen, a few others, I, I've wrestled the last couple days because I knew things were going to look different this morning, and I wasn't sure who would be in the room and who wouldn't be in the room. And to be honest, we've been working through this series defined, right? Uh, what are the things that oftentimes we bring up in conversations that we view as things that define us, things that determine like, hey, hi, I'm Nick, I work here, I do this, this is what I'm known for, these are the things that usually define my life. And we talked about this idea that we are ultimately defined by Christ, created in his image and his likeness to be defined by him so that he can begin a redefining work in our life to help us better see those things that often are important. Work is still an important part of who we are and what we do, but when we allow Christ to redefine how we see that. So that's what we talked about last week. How do we redefine work and have a good sense of what it should be in our lives and how we balance what needs to be done versus um, our attitudes and our vision, our perspective on it sometimes. And this week, we were planning on talking about, and still are, redefining our relationship status. You ever been on Facebook? I don't try, I try not to be very often, but it's one of those things that was a joke for a while, like it's Facebook officials, two people would start dating, and their, their status would switch on Facebook from like single to in a relationship, and all of a sudden the status change meant now that it was Facebook official, and that was kind of the joke. Or one of the little terms they had on Facebook for a while was, it's complicated, right? And so uh, it may be in sort of a relationship, maybe not, not really in a relationship, but it's complicated. Regardless of what our relationship status is, oftentimes if you get into a conversation, one of the things that will quickly come up, are you married? Do you have kids? People try to understand that aspect of our life, and it's another one of those things that quickly defines us. I, it gives me a new lens to see you through if I know that you're married, if I know you're in a relationship, I know you're single, I know you're widowed, I know what is it that is your status. And so I wrestled for a little bit as to whether or not we still needed to have that conversation this morning. Not that it wouldn't, wasn't, isn't an important conversation, but again, knowing our kids would be with us, knowing, having no clue who was going to be in the room, I kind of wrestled for a while, but... I feel like this is where we're still headed this morning, so I hope, <laughs> I believe that God is going to be with us in the midst of that conversation. And to have that conversation, again, I want us to flip over to Genesis. We were there a little bit last week in chapter 1. I want us to flip over to chapter 2 a little bit this morning. And I want to say that if you're in the room and you're going, I'm not sure where this is going, if this applies to me, if it's not, I braved the conditions to be here today. Don't worry, we're going to cover all the gambit of this and unpack what it means for Christ to redefine relationships in our life, to help us better understand what his intentions were and what our role in that can be, how we can better understand the significance and importance of whatever relationship or whatever status we find ourselves in. So to begin that conversation, let's flip open to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 18, okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he should call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall over the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. A couple of things we want to pull from this and understand is, is this, the, the writer of Genesis is painting this picture, giving us this scene to look at. There's a few significant things that happen here. God, for the first time in all of creation up to this point in two chapters worth of writing, has said many things are good. And yet for the first time has said, this is not good, that man should be alone. And so, in saying man should be alone, or should not be alone, he says... We need to find a suitable helper for him. And the next task he gives Adam is not to go get his bride, to find his wife, to find Eve. He doesn't take the rib at that moment. He sends Adam out to name all of these animals. All these creations and creatures that God has designed and made are now here, and he's being given this task to name them. And I I think this is significant, the way this is written, to help us understand that there's a difference between companionship and what God knew that we needed. There is a difference between the company of something that could be present and alive. We, we love pets, right? Everybody have some pets that they dearly love? Would be like There's the relationship that exists with a dog or a cat or something like that where you really care about this pet, and they're there, and they sit in your lap, and you can hold them and pet them. And, and uh, it's kind of this companionship that's somebody to, to spend time with. But there is a difference still between that and the relationship that comes with conversation the relationship that comes with someone who understands what you've been through, someone who shares that image of God, that designed image of God that we talked about last week, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so together, these people wanted this relationship that would help have a connection where people understood what they were going through and could help in a lot of different ways beyond just companionship. And so here God sees that and he gives Adam this woman, of his, from his rib, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And I love this next statement. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam recognizes this need for at last. Here is something I can connect with, something that seems like me. Someone who I can have relationship and deep intimacy and understanding and connection between, right? She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, in light of today's circumstances, and everyone in the room, I just want to clarify and point out that passage. They shall become one flesh, all right? This is significant, and I'll say this, you know, if you have questions afterwards, come talk to me. This is significant because a lot of times we wrestle with what is a marriage what officially makes us? we got to say, well, i got to have this big day, this big celebration, this big ceremony. We're going to have all these people in, and there's going to be a pastor who stands up and makes this official, right? And these two people will now be connected. In light of Scripture, I think God's perspective and God's view on what the union of these two people looked like, I don't know how much of a ceremony there was in early days. There's probably some. But when we really wrestle with it, there's a couple things that happen in a ceremony. Number one, these days, if today's culture, the way we see it and understand it today, one of the big things people have to have if they're going to have a ceremony and be united as man and wife is this legal document, a marriage license that comes from the state that verifies this is a legal union recognized by the government, therefore they get all the benefits and, and all the things that come with that. 
this is going to be bestowed upon them. And so here we go. You have these legal rights. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. But the other side of it is this relationship. We've talked about it in the past when discussing membership and our relationship with one another, this covenant, this agreement, this commitment, these vows, these statements before God and other people that for better or for worse, regardless of rich or poor, regardless of how good life is or how bad life is, we are going to walk through this journey together to be suitable helpers for one another. There is this sense of commitment that I will be with you to the end, regardless of how good or bad things are, we will work through whatever circumstances come our way to be a suitable helper. That carries in with it this sense of understanding that it isn't just about walking through a ceremony to make things legal. It's not just about having a relationship, someone who is generally makes you laugh and makes you happy. When we talk to the world about what is it you're looking for in a spouse, what is it you're looking for in a companion, that suitable helper, a lot of times you'll find somebody, I need somebody who likes to do the same things I do. I want to find somebody who makes me happy or makes me laugh. And in the midst of all that, that's tough and difficult because God's picture of what this marriage relationship looks like is kind of echoed throughout other passages of Scripture when God talks about the church, the body of Christ as his bride, pure and spotless, presented before him. This idea of bringing into relationship this group of people, this church, in order that they may be presented pure and blameless before God. And when we look at this imagery, we start to realize and recognize that all of the relationships we have in this world, I have this strong belief that what God is doing by giving humanity the relationships he gives us is helping us to understand in every possible facet imaginable what his love is really like. We talk about God as a father, and we'll talk about that more later next week, but God as a father is very difficult for some to grasp. Some of us may have had great fathers, some of us may not have. And we talk about that when we think of God as a father, we start to think of certain things in our heads and we categorize him in this certain category and that's one aspect of that relationship. Myself as a father, I know how I interact with my kids. I know what that relationship's like. I have learned a tremendous amount about God's love that I didn't ever really fully understand or grasp before my kids came along. And that different level of intimacy, that different level of relationship, that different level of needing to care for someone, that different level of infuriation of when you're trying to help them understand what's best for them and they're completely ignoring you and you know what's best for them and you're like, don't play at the table, don't, don't, don't play in your chair, you're going to fall and bust your head. Ouch, I bet that hurt, didn't it? Can you imagine like God kind of sitting there doing that with us? That's one piece of that relationship. And we talk about God as a friend. And we talk about this intimacy, this closeness that we have with friends where we can confide in them, share with them our, our fears and our doubts and our frustrations and the things we're going through. We can confide in God in that relationship and see him through the lens of a friend. But one of the things that's challenging for us is to see the intimacy that we are called to have with God through this marriage relationship. That we as the body of Christ are called to be a bride. But if you notice, the very end of that little section, I think, gives us a really clear glimpse into it. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were standing there completely vulnerable, completely bare before one another, before God. We talked about this around this time last year, discussing the sickness that comes into the world through the sin of Adam and Eve in that garden and this 
this distortion of what happens when that relationship is broken, that all of a sudden now we have things to hide. In this moment, the relationship between this man and woman is that everything is out in the open, literally and figuratively, and there's no shame between them because the intimacy is so deep and so complete. The connection between the two that happens in this physical intimacy is so complete and so deep that there's nothing that should be able to stand between them. So when we start to look at this passage and we kind of break things apart and we look at other aspects of what we know and understand about relationship and marriage, there is a difference between the union of two people where we stand up and make a commitment that we may or may not intend to keep. And I'm not, understand me, I understand that some of us have been through divorce and I do not want anyone to feel guilted or shamed here because there is restoration for all things. I am just simply trying to help us walk through what God's intent and God's design have been. And so if you hear me, please hear me and understand that I'm not in any way, I come from a home where my parents are divorced, I understand what that looks like, and I love my family, I love you, but we, we need to recognize that there's a difference between this commitment that we have been called to keep to one another, a covenant relationship. God gives us better understandings of what it means to be in that relationship, to have that marriage, and to step away through books like Hosea and other images where he gives us this calling of how he treats us as a bride. Despite how unfaithful Israel is, despite how adulterous they are and going off and chasing other gods, he is still faithful to them, bringing them back into relationship. He paints this picture of a faithful bridegroom who is there always trying to bring back his bride. A commitment that goes beyond any kind of sin or shortcoming or failure when he is always trying to bring us back in. He's always trying to bring the bride back in to deepen their relationship and their holiness and their understanding of who he is. This relationship from the very beginning, I believe with all of my heart, was not something designed so that Adam would just be happy, but that Adam had someone who saw differently than him, who perceived things differently than him, was different than him in some ways that could be a support system for him to help bring about better perspective, to help strengthen one another so that they could become holy and blameless before God, that they would strengthen each other in their relationship to God, and that God was supposed to be at the center of that relationship regardless. And so we paint that picture of what marriage was intended to be from the get-go, and we say, okay, when I talk about marriage and I say that I am married, or I talk about my relationship status and say I am or I'm not, how do I view that relationship? How has God redefined how I treat my spouse? How has God redefined how I connect with other people? How does God redefine my understanding of that relationship so that I realize it's not just about going through life and making sure that one of us is doing the dishes and one of us is fixing the meals and that we're sharing in the duties of life so that we don't kill each other and so we remain somewhat happy. We're going through those motions and doing those things to be a part of the kingdom work that we talked about last week. We are still called to be working actively towards God's plans and God's goals. And if we're supposed to be drawing other people into that kingdom, helping other people to be completely devoted to it, to work with all of they have towards the goals of that kingdom, shouldn't the first step of that being to spur one another on in the good work of doing that? To be focused on that kingdom work together, to be united and equally yoked, as Paul put it, to be on the same page with how we both diligently work towards what it is God has called us to. And so when we look at how God redefines marriage, he helps us to see this isn't just about my fulfillment or my happiness. It ultimately is about us 
being a support system, an encouragement for each other, like we talked about earlier in our prayer time, rejoicing with each other when there's stuff to rejoice about, mourning with each other when there are things to mourn over, supporting each other through difficult circumstances, but always pushing one another back to God's word, back to prayer with one another, back to times where we put the emphasis and focus of our household on family work, or on kingdom work. Now, I say all that, and I recognize that right now I'm speaking a little heavy on marriage. And I said this is a relationship status, and many of us are in different places. And, and the beautiful thing is, God's word kind of covers that. Paul discusses this thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there's a statement here, because this is interesting. We feel like at the beginning of God's word, if we paint this picture, that we needed a suitable helper. Man wasn't intended to be alone, right? That they needed deep, intimate relationship. They needed something that was going to help spur them on to something better. And we look at that and we say, that's obviously what God wanted for us, so that's how we need to live, that's how we need to act and practice, that's what we need to do. And so therefore, we've created this culture at times where we put a heavy emphasis on our people to say, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, go get yourself a spouse and have kids. That is a goal in life that should be achieved and should be reached. And sometimes we put this weight and pressure on someone. Oh, you're about that age. Shouldn't you be finding a nice girl and settling down, a nice guy and settling down? Shouldn't you be getting married and having this relationship and doing these things? And this is kind of a point of contention for a lot of people I know who struggled in that area, and they feel like somehow they haven't succeeded. They've fallen short. they failed. They don't have this relationship, and so they feel like a second-class citizen within the walls of the church. And that's never been our desire or our hope, but it's unfortunately kind of been one of those unspoken things that often happens. People feel like they're not included in certain areas. They feel like they'd, they kind of have to keep their head low in this area or not be a part of this study because that's kind of for couples. They don't feel comfortable in a sermon like this because Nick is talking about marriage and that doesn't meet my life. But Paul has a lot to say here in chapter 7. He says, Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. So there's this emphasis like this temptation that is existing, and it is good to have this. But if we kind of move down a little bit to verse 6, he kind of goes through that, and I encourage you to read through all of that on your own and, and kind of wrestle through those concepts that he's spelling out there in those first few verses. But if we look at verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, in the midst of all this, there's a lot of complicated stuff there. And we realize that Paul is saying, I say, not the Lord says. There's that important distinction kind of written and implied in there. And he's saying this isn't a command, it's a concession, it's an understanding, but Paul's desire is to say, listen, do you realize that in my singleness, I am able to stay devoted and focused on and completely passionate about the work God has called me to? Now, for all, not all people, this is going to work, but for some, this is better. I would almost prefer if people could be in a sense of controlling their passions so that they could work with great passion and zeal and diligence towards work towards God, giving the kingdom all of they have and all the energy they have in them. 
And we look and we say, you know, regardless of our status, regardless of it's single, married, whatever it is, God's goal is still for us to be passionately investing in the kingdom, to surround ourselves with community and people that can help us in that effort. If we are married and in that relationship, he calls us to push one another on towards him, to view the kingdom work still as the most important thing. Therefore, we are called to make each other holy, not just happy. In fact, it is not our responsibility at all to make each other happy. Only God truly gives us joy in our hearts and our lives. And sometimes when we put that unfair responsibility on our spouse to keep our attitude in check, to make us happy so that we aren't in a bad mood or in a foul state, we're missing the fact that our attitudes and our hearts should be redefined by God and His purposes in our life. And it shouldn't be their responsibility to make my world perfect so that I'm not grumbly and cranky but that my attitude should be softened and transformed so that I am a support system and an encouragement to them in the midst of all that. And so we look at these passages and we look at these different statuses and we talk about what God's intentions were. The reality is these relationships were given to us so we could better fully understand the intimacy God calls us to, so that we could better see what it means for us to push one another into holiness, to chase after each other with this zeal and this desire to see one another come to God, to see those around us come into deeper relationship with Him, to build up that kingdom perspective like we talked about last week. But in the midst of that, we shouldn't feel discouraged or broken when we've suffered loss, or we find ourselves alone, we realize that our efforts are still focused on the kingdom. That our energy should still be in building each other up. It may not be through that committed relationship of marriage in that way, but this committed covenant relationship that we have come to be a part of here in the body. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can spur one another on towards good work and good deeds, and a heart that is passionate about being transformed in his likeness. To be a support system that celebrates with those who are celebrating and mourns with those who are mourning to have deep intimate relationship and conversation because it's interesting when that veil ripped and we now have God's presence in our life there's a certain level of vulnerability that should now be once again available here amongst us not the kind of vulnerability that Adam and Eve were experiencing per se um, but the kind of vulnerability where I lay my life out I'm an open book yeah, here's my sins, here's my struggles, here's what I'm facing. And we find that really difficult. We've talked about vulnerability before. But when we start to understand what God's definition and what God's intentions and God's purposes were for these relationships, these committed, lifelong covenant relationships, when we start viewing them through a different lens, God helps shapes how we walk through those relationships, how we continue to support each other, how we continue to show grace to one another, and how we continue to devote ourselves to the kingdom regardless of our status. It's not that we are single or we are married or we are divorced or we are widowed defines us. The kingdom still defines us. And God gives us perspective and hope and love and joy and happiness despite what our relationship status says. And regardless of how complicated it may be, he can give us the strength to move into the place he desires us to be, which is serving wholeheartedly in his kingdom, calling all people around us into deeper relationship with him, pushing people towards holiness. And so we're going to get up, and we're going to sing again, and, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you would like somebody to pray with you and over you this morning, obviously that, ob that uh, invitation is always open and is still open this morning. If you just need to sit quietly and pray where you are, that's fine. If you want to wrestle with that, 
But in talking about what our status is, regardless of what it is, I pray that you would seek God's face in saying, have I diligently given my all to my marriage? Have I diligently given my all to the kingdom? If I'm not, have I diligently given myself to whatever season I am in and found joy and hope in God's goodness despite what the circumstances are? Have I allowed God to define my current status and my current position in my relationships in my life? Or am I still allowing that status to control and define how I believe and how I behave and how I engage or disengage? Regardless of how that is, my encouragement to you this morning is how can you take another step at laying that down at his feet? There's some ideas and some suggestions in your bulletin as always. Check those out. But I would encourage you this week to spend a little bit of time in this moment and continue as we go into communion, as we go into all those other things following that, to just lay those things at his feet and surrender to his goodness and believe his hope and goodness are available for you. If you would, stand with me. Bow your heads for a word of prayer. Father, for many of us, um, this can be a, a, a... a point of contention and heartbreak. We feel this sense of loss or we feel this sense of joy. Father, for each of us, this is a topic that brings about different feelings and emotions. But I believe with all of my heart that you have the ability to give us joy and hope through all circumstances and to help us engage in your kingdom work right where we are in seeing our status through your lens for allowing you to redefine where we are in this life, and helping us to see that we are still useful, that we are still beneficial, that we still carry with us the potential for tremendous impact on your kingdom right where we are in the midst of what we're facing. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and wisdom to seek you and to lay that at your feet, and whatever shame or guilt or struggle or pain or loss we have felt through those seasons, I pray that we would be able to lay that at your feet and trust you with all sincerity, knowing that you are good and you will help us to see clearly and transform our hearts and lives. I love you and just give this time to you again in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.